Should you be having casual sex? Should we be allowing abortion? Should we be banning abortions? Should we be pushing one style of relationships, monogamous exclusive? Should open and free and casual relationships have a place? You know, these deep questions in regards to your orientation of sexuality between the masculine and feminine energy. The dance between these two we will explore today and we will also explore how you can best harmonize in this world of absolute volcanic inflammation. When you see just over this past 48 hours, the entire internet get hijacked by the Roe v. Wade abortion decision in the US. We'll discuss that a little bit later on. And you see just such division, such extremes between the conservative right and the progressive left. So, you know, surely, surely there's a midway. Surely there's a balanced viewpoint that makes a compromise from both sides. We will definitely begin to understand that. I hope you do understand that today. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bulldojo Podcast. We're the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at boldojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang1, double O-I, tang1, or on Facebook which is just Facebook, The Adam Uwe. You guys can find all the links down below to that. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip, you can do so over at bowldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. Once off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldoja.com. A nice five track. Eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Uwe, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. So as we kick off today's session, we've got three mingling ideas. Number one, abortion, the controversy melting down social media right now as regards to the US constitutional overturning of the fundamental right to abortion. But that is largely going to stem us into the big conversation around sex itself, culturally, the values, the consequences of sex, and how you would engage the relationship styles open, exclusive, macro, micro, individual to societal levels, how you will learn to map the dynamic of masculine to feminine energy in your lives. So beginning with abortion though, Saturday night, I put out my stance on abortion, which I've never done before publicly, but I felt it was necessary more so because I saw incredible division. I saw incredible hate and vitriol happening between the two extremes and actually people being pulled into the extremes where I think people were just forgetting that for the last 50 years and up until five seconds ago, the prevailing sentiment on abortion was that most people, the average person, if asked, do you agree with abortion or not, would say, hey, I may not like it, but I certainly agree that there's circumstances in which that it's necessary, so let's have it, but let's have some limits on it. And this is where I've always fallen as well, and I'll give you my personal stance right now, which is that when it comes to abortion, there are three camps. Far left, abortion with no limits at all. In the middle, abortion with some limits. On the far right, no abortion at all under any circumstance. Personally, I fall into the centric view that yes, I believe in abortion, but there should be some limits on it as to when we cut off that process. 
And yes, this is where most people fall into. And as surveys have shown, both in the US and in Australia. So I just saw on social media, particularly within the freedom community within Australia, people just getting uh, pulled, hijacked into having to take one particular side. And I was seen to be the only person out there who was saying to people, hang on a second, guys, hang on a second. I think we can have a more nuanced, a more adult, empathetic conversation around what and why someone would require an abortion and how if you are someone who's extremely conservative, I respect your opinion for that, but please respect that not everyone follows your religion. And what I'm pointing towards there is that most people who are extremely conservative and have this view on abortion of no abortion whatsoever are doing it mostly from a religious standpoint in which that they, whether you're a Christian and you believe in the sanctity of life and that even a puddle of cells known as a zygote with no tangible form of consciousness or understandable form of consciousness yet, how you would still view that as being worthy of protected. And I understand that. I truly do. However, what you must also understand is that I do not believe that it I do not subscribe to that view, as do not many other people, whether you are a Buddhist, a Hinduist, a Muslim, uh, an atheist altogether. Uh, we do not subscribe to all the values and morals and beliefs and philosophies of Christianity. And society is a game of compromises. Society is a melting, a, a cohabitation of melting minds in which that we have to learn to live with each other. So expecting all of society to live by your religion is, quite frankly, just, it's silly. It's silly because it's impractical, but it's also very unempathetic and doesn't take into account other people's way of life. So I understand the conservatives, but also I went just as hard on Instagram in that story on the people on the far left that most of society do not agree with ending a child's life the day before it's born. Most of us would agree that that's a person at that point. So we cannot just have free reign, free for all on abortion with no limits whatsoever. So if you're on the far left, please understand that while I respect your ability to have that opinion. I want you to be able to have that opinion. Not Most people don't. Most people don't share that. So you're going to have to learn to cohabitate with people in society. Let's find a midway. Let's find a compromise between the two. And that's what I was largely attempting to communicate on Instagram, which I found tremendous feedback. Not only just because I know that most of the uh, audience that I have on Instagram are particularly are operating on a slightly higher level of consciousness. They, they practice love. They practice light. They understand these ideas and they're used to hearing me speak about them. So they were not surprised at all about my stance and my viewpoint, which is very harmonious, very calm, very balanced. You know, let's not lose ourselves. Let's not allow society to be melted down in this way. So now that we've fleshed out the abortion idea, and we will return back to this likely when it comes to relationship styles, let's talk about sex. And let's talk about the casual nature of sex. You know, this idea of should you be having casual sex? No. I agree with anyone who's saying that casual sex is a bad idea, whether it's because they're saying it's a bad idea for society because it's going to lead to more single parents, which is going to lead to children who are disadvantaged when it comes to success in life. Okay, I hear all those ideas. Or whether you're saying it's because it's on the individual level in which that it corrupts the individual, in which that it corrupts your ideas of the dance between masculine and feminine energy, the ideas of commitment, the, the ideas of having to care for someone, and then it leads to these really borderline sociopathic behaviors in which that you can just ghost people you can when things aren't working well you don't have to be a stand-up individual that has to display principles of honor and integrity because if it's just casual then there's there was no no reason or need for you to have to invest any level of emotion within this person which will lead to emotional consequences if you did something wrong i get all that i get all that and i agree with all those things i do i for the most part do agree with all those things in context and so here comes the context Casual sex. If you are saying and defining casual by intentless, then I agree with you that casual sex is the worst thing in the world. 
Now, for some of my long-term listeners, you may be a little confused, maybe having a bit of a fit. Slow down. Calm down. Ochitsuke. I am all for deep sexual practice, varied, wild exploration, adventure within sexual practice. But not for a second have I ever been a proponent of that wild, deep exploration of sexual practice without intent. There should always be intent for it. And what is that intent? To learn about yourself in relation to others. And what that means now, to flesh that out idea, is that you would endeavor to provide not only the best of a human experience, the most caring, empathetic, direct, congruent, authentic experience for another human being when it came to sexual practice, that you would first learn to see the person in front of you. You would first learn to understand who they are, what their intent is, where their desires lay. You would first learn to feel your heart in connection with theirs, to see the spirit within them. That sex itself, while if we were to take a literal definition, the penetration of things, really is the dance between masculine and feminine energy in which that love may be communicated, transferred, in which now we say not so much making sex, but making love. I have always pushed and practiced the idea of making love, not sex. When we start to talk about the deeper ideas, the higher level ideas of what it means for a masculine being to intertwine himself and his spirit with a feminine being. Yes. Yes, deep practice. Yes, wild practice. Yes, adventurous practice. Yes, being able to understand yourself in different styles of relationship in which that your attachment levels are tested, in which that you get to see if you have put a harness on your ego, understood your own ego. Open styles and open relationships are fantastic for this. They put you to the test. Open style relationships. Oh, we're kind of diving off now. We've kind of. It's very hard not to talk about this style of relationship when it comes to sex. So I'll, I'll do my best. I'll finish that line, but I'll get back to, I'll get back to the casual thing in a second. But with the open style, maybe I should just pause it there, there, because otherwise it's got to go off on a major tangent. So all right, all right, all right. We'll slow down. We're just here at the beginning here. Coming back to the casual, casual sex. If you're going to go into a sexual relationship with someone and you have no care or concern for that person, and that you don't just foresee having to care or concern for that person after the sexual act itself, then you should bend that idea. Then you should bend that idea and you should go back. You should reassess who you are, where you are in life and why you would have such a disrespect for humanity. Why you would have such a disrespect for the dance between masculine and feminine energy. And that is not to say that you cannot have such a deep reverence for the actual act of sex itself that would allow for you to understand humanity, understand yourself in relation to another human being as long as it came with the care, the empathy on the other end. As long as it came with an open and direct discussion as to what you two are together, where you are in your stages of life. Maybe she's in a different stage of life right now where she's looking for a partner, for a mate to settle down with, to create children with, to create a life with. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's the complete opposite. Maybe she's been sexually abused all of her life and she's just now got into the path of mending those wounds, healing, and learning to trust in masculine energy again. And for her, in order for her to trust in masculine energy again, she needs a baby-stepped approach through sexuality, through sexual activity, in which that even the idea of an attachment, of saying, hey, we need to be in a monogamous relationship first before we engage in a committed, exclusive, with long-term plans monogamous relationship first before we engage sexual activity. 
you know, that's repulsive. That's repulsive to someone who has been abused and mistreated by masculine beings or any, but I'm just using common case examples of my own references in life and clients, et cetera. But it goes both ways. Men get abused by women as well. Absolutely. You hear that. But it's repulsive that you would say to someone, no, you can only, and it is only right and honorable to explore sexual activity as long as you are in an exclusive relationship. Hang on a second. What if all of my exclusive relationships have led to nothing but pain, nothing but blood and pain, and that I need a way to be able to step myself through sexual progression, sexuality between masculine and feminine energy. And as we do live in 2022, we have technological advances that allow that possible. We have condoms. We have the marinas or the birth control female options of implants and the pill, of course. We have many options. We have coitus withdrawals, withdrawalis, <laughs> which is actually not a technological advancement at all, actually. It's just the Latin for the withdrawal method, which is uh, definitely a very risky method, absolutely. Certainly not a... Well, we will talk about that. We will talk about that a little bit later on. We, we will get to some nitty-gritty about my personal beliefs uh, around birth control and when it comes to sex in a very raw sense like that way. We're not there yet, though. We'll get there. Don't worry. Coming back to this idea, casual sex... No, definitely not casual sex. Intentful sex, yes. Intentful sex done in an open style, yes. Yes, I'm 100% okay with that. 100% okay with that because what I hear from the conservatives and what I hear from the professors in academia that think casual sex, because when they're saying casual sex, they're not just talking about the lack of intent to be able to care for the other person. They're also talking about the fact that what if this did lead to sex uh, a child, sorry. What if this did lead? What if this sex did lead to a child, and what if that did lead to a poor outcome for that child, which would then lead to a poor outcome for society? So I can see their reasoning. I see their thoughts. I've listened to many, many hours of different various professors discussing these ideas. And where I disagree with this is that assumption, the assumption that you couldn't have sexual role, a sexual role, a sexual exploration and expression between a masculine and feminine being in which that both of them came in with a high level of consciousness, came with a high level of awareness, both agreeing that we do not want to be an exclusive relationship, but we will still care for each other. We don't have to be an exclusive relationship in order to be able to care for each other. Simultaneously, we'll do everything we can to prevent a child being born. And when done, when done well, when done consciously, pretty good odds, pretty good odds. Speaking from my own personal experience, I haven't had a child yet, and for the last six or seven years, I've only been in open relationships. Been, there are, I, I just, the black and white views is what I'm talking about here. The black and white views of that, it's the end of society if we have all these people running around having sex in ex- open relationships, not in exclusive relationships. It's, at best, it's trivial. At worst, it's demeaning and a complete misunderstanding of what human beings are actually capable of when they access their greatest level of understanding, when they actually do the best that they can. Now, I understand that that's not most people. I I certainly understand that, that for most guys, they're not coming in trying first, best to understand the woman in front of them, to get into her heart first and see what's in there, 
to understand the pain and the hurt that she's been through, the sexual trauma, the rape that she had when she was 10, 12, 14, 16 years old, to all of the psychological abuse, the domestic violence she's been through throughout the rest of her life. I understand that most guys are not having those conversations. They're not really entertaining or willing to go into those conversations where for lack of expertise, lack of practice, confidence within having those discussions, or just lack of interest, lack of care, which I'm sure there are many males, absolutely. However, as a coach of social dynamics myself, I don't want to optimize for the worst case scenario. I always want to optimize for the best case scenario, which is that I always hold the ideal and the standard to which I believe masculine beings, particularly when it comes to this scenario, should be engaging in sex. And this is my stance, that if you are a masculine being, it is okay to engage in sexual practice, whether it be exclusive or open, as long as you do it with intent, intent to care, intent to understand, intent to be connected with the person in front of you, to sit there with them, staring into their eyes, looking back at you, you looking at them, dissolving who you are, reaching that state of presence, which that there are no more expectations. So even the act penetration of his sex itself peters away. It dissolves. The desire for it dissolves. The need for it dissolves. You're just so present in the moment that you're transferring love between your heart, your eyes, and hers. Once that connection has been established, then the penetration may flow effortlessly because the trust, the signal she would send to you, the trusting in which that I see that you can see me, do you know how important that is for a woman to be able to feel when looking into a man's eyes that I know that he sees me, that I know that he's not judging me, that I know that he doesn't have expectations for me, and that if we were to have penetrative sex right now, he wouldn't get up five seconds later, dust himself off and never see me again. There would be care on the back end. There would be empathy on the back end. To establish that first, if you're a masculine being listening to this, that's your priority. Your priority is her care. Your priority is her emotional care. Before you go through the act of sexual penetration, you show her that you care for her heart first. You see her first. And then when you get the reciprocation of that, that's the green light. Because if you were a masculine being and you did all of that and you did the very best you could, you provided the very best 50%, your 50 that you possibly could in caring emotionally for another woman, for a human being in front of you. And it wasn't returned. It wasn't reciprocated then you would know for yourself then, because this goes both ways. You would know for yourself then that this is probably not the person that I should be sexually engaging with. It is a boyhood psychology to transact on sex. A man views sex as a doorway to human expression, human exploration, to the understanding of oneself in relation to another. Views sex as an integral part of what it means to play between masculine and feminine energy. And now comes the consequences. Along with a manhood psychology of honoring the role of sex in his life for all those adventurous ideas, explorative ideas, he also values the consequence of that, which is it is very likely that the penetrative act of sex itself, the biological purpose for sex, is to create another human being. It is not purely for either pleasure or, as I just described, self-exploration. It is to procreate, to create another human being. 
So we must also value sex with the weight and value the weight accordingly. It's not pennies. It's billions. And when you have that reverence for the act of sex itself, you would make decisions about whether you trust this person enough to not use, in the male example, to not use contraceptive, to not use a condom. Whether, and this is what I'm trying to describe here, this is where the waters get very murky because now it's going to very largely depend, well, for me personally, it's going to depend on the state of your relationship. So let me lay it out for you like this. Keep it real simple. For any new person that I'm having sex with, I'm always using a condom. Once I form a relationship with them, I start to form trust. And if the trust reaches a certain level in which that I know that in the event, if, and this is a good rule, this is a good rule of thumb, in the event that something just went wrong, in which that even though I'm very, very confident in my withdrawal ability, I pull out a game, let's say just, you know, just there was one night where, I don't know, the ecstasy was too strong. The, the, the emotions, the concoction of dopamine was too strong and I just slipped. It just slipped and you fucked up. Say that happened. It's always a potential. As unlikely as it may be, there's a potential for it. Would you be okay with this woman having your baby? Would you be okay? Would you be happy? Would you be able to live life? Would you be able to move on? Would you be all right with the baby being born? These questions should be posed before entertaining the idea of the withdrawal, the pullout again. If you cannot solidly answer yes to those questions, you should as a masculine being not be engaged in the pullout game. You should be using a condom at all times. So that's that's largely how I like to play it. How I like to play it is that anyone new to me, I'm using a condom. And I know condoms are not 100% effective, but yeah, this is the other thing. Well, we've got to go, we've got to back one step up here, I guess. As a masculine being, you should have such confidence in your sexual control, in your mastery of your equipment that you could have sex for hours, five, six hours, and never have to ejaculate. Once you develop the ability to discern between ejaculation and orgasm, you can have and engage in the practice of sex itself for hours and hours and hours. I mean, the most recent girl that I was with, I think the longest session we ever had was from about 8.30 p.m. until 3.30 in the morning. And of course, that's not literal penetration from literally 8.30 to 3.30. You're going to have breaks in between that. But it's a long, long time. It was a long, but it didn't feel like it in the moment. It goes by like in a second. And that's when you know you've accessed a true level of presence. But the point of why I brought up that story is that I could go for hours, hours and hours, indefinitely, really, without ever having to ejaculate. It should be a switch. If you're a masculine being and if you have not developed the ability to switch your ejaculation on or off, then you've got a lot of work to do. We talk about fundamental skills. There are many fundamental skills that a masculine being should have, one of them being that, in which that you have detached from pornography, you have detached from external sexual stimulus, and you have practiced deeply within your own internal sexuality, in which that you have learned to master the ride, the journey of 
climax within yourself and realize that energetic climax, orgasm itself, we use that word, is actually quite different, quite separate, can be separated from the ejaculation of sperm. If you'd like to know more about this, I would highly recommend researching Tantra, right? Tantric masturbation, which very simply, I can just give you a layout of it here. You essentially, just with no external stimulus, eyes closed, learn to generate an erection through breath, right? So just no touching, you don't touch yourself, you don't look at anything, you just direct all of your sexual energy, you push your energy from your core, from your center, down into your genitals, into where you feel like and with a visualization of what a hard erection would be. You form the erection, and then you go into playing with yourself and to exploring. And this is what the idea is, is that it's, as you're playing with yourself, it should be playing without outcome. Playing as freely as you possibly can. Freely as you possibly can to which that there is no end game. There is no need to ejaculate. I don't think there are, this is, this is revelating to me as well. I think most guys do not understand or have ever heard the idea, the concept that you could have a session of jacking off without coming. And when I say coming, I should say ejaculating to be more specific. To orgasm without ejaculating. If you have not done that yet as a masculine being, then your skills are not nearly as refined as they could be. You should have that ability. Absolutely. Now, at certain once you can do that, once you can do that, you can bring yourself to an orgasm without having to ejaculate and you go through a full body, spa- full body spasm and you realize you have mastery over that. Then you can bring in visualizations to have fun and you can play out different fantasies, okay, in your mind, right? Pornography should have no role in your life. And this is where actually I've changed my views on things. Sometimes you guys ask me where I've changed my view on things. Oh, this is one of those. This is one of them. Pornography is where I've changed my views. If you go back earlier on the channel, I was never like a pro porn person. Like I was never like saying, yes, you must go watch porn. I was never like that gat cab. But I was in a center right position, well, center left, I guess you should say. Center progressive on it, in which that I didn't hate, I didn't love pornography, but I didn't hate it either. I said that, and if you, you can go back onto my NoFap videos, and I said, listen, if you can use pornography in the way that you use junk food, in which that you don't eat it every night. You don't purely subsist on McDonald's. That every now and again, if you want to have a bit of fun and fuck off, then it's probably going to be okay. It's probably not going to ruin your life. It should be like a a visit to the theme park, but it's not your everyday life. It's not your everyday drive. You know, you're not driving a roller coaster around the streets. Purely because, and most importantly, now putting the analogies to the side, that if you have more time spent with pornography than real human beings, that's a big problem. That's a huge issue. And that needs to be rectified immediately if you do not wish to become a sad, sorry state, a sadly, sad, lonely old man. If you do not wish to become a sad, lonely old man, you must have a much more favorable balance of real sexual practice in human life with connection of actual humans than pornography on a digital screen. That is a no-brainer. That is an equation that should be very easily understood and balanced and practiced. My views on this have changed in the way of my confidence that someone would take what I just said and actually live by it. I, 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 had, I had higher hopes for males, young males. I thought 
that that idea would pervade, that it would all-encompass, that it would only be a sliver of the masculine population that would fall prey and asleep, so to speak, to pornography. It seems to only be getting worse. It seems that porn and advents of OnlyFans and these direct, you know, consumer, direct to consumer type pornography sexual activity in which they you pay girls to get access to private access to them and all these different webcam shows and all that different stuff. That that seems to have only been getting worse. It's particularly with COVID when everyone's locked down, getting worse. And you see these different websites offering these special deals that just make it the bar is like it's like one dollar entry. You know, Pornhub had that thing, Pornhub for one dollar. You know, it's like that's not helping anyone. It's really not helping anyone. Okay, okay, hold on. I'm being a bit extreme there. I do hear the counter argument that surely for someone, Adam, what about the guy? What about the mass shooters? What about all the guys that potentially could have become mass shooters, but if it were not for porn, because they were so socially inept, they could not gain real human sexual experience, that that would have been led to a path of complete despair and a a condemnation of society because of their states, their circumstances, in which that they feel like they need to rectify that through mass violence. What if porn has saved so many of those guys going down that path? Because if it means that they'll never have sex, never be the type of guy that a girl would want to have sex with, they can circumnavigate that through the pixels, through the digital. They can release those hormones. They can trick their biology into thinking that they're actually uh, fulfilling and serving their biological most important need and desire, procreation. Okay, okay. That's that's where that's when I that's why I said I got a, I got a little hot on myself there. I've got to, I try to stay as balanced as I can of you guys, and I did get a little hot there when I said, you know, porn's not helping anyone. Okay, I do see that for a sliver slice of society. It is help. It does help some. I can see that. It's actually the same argument for sex workers and prostitutes. You know who are sex workers helping? Who are sex workers? Sex workers and prostitutes helping? Disabled people, people that physically um, find it very difficult, find it very difficult to even go meet a partner physically, uh, or to get engaged with a partner. People that would fall into the lines of super depressive, anxious potentially sociopathic that would otherwise find other means to vent or to express their deep sorrow if that sorrow was only to become more intensified by lack of sexual activity because make no mistake sexual activity whether you want to agree with it or not whether you want to be responsible for that idea or not it is at the foremost of all humans humans minds at least subconsciously whether you want to consciously agree with that or not but i think it's pretty widely understood Human beings are made to procreate, to get our genes into the next generation. So, yes, it makes it makes perfect sense that yes, I do agree. Sex workers do have their role to help uh, beyond the you know people that would use it for just frivolous reasons. I'm sure there are benefits to society as well along with it. Okay, but now that I've covered the nuances of this particular discussion, let's move back to the main point here, which is that in general. If you are, do not fall into the category of borderline mass shooter, then porn should have no place in your life. Human connection, real life humanity should be your primary tool of expressing yourself sexually and learning to do so in a harmonious, well-balanced, calibrated, socially savvy, 
direct, congruent, authentic, with empathy manner. Right, that's exactly how it should be done. So we've gone. I, I don't even. We've gone off so many bamboo shoots here. I don't know how we're going to draw it back up. So I'm just going to move on to the next one, which is we were we had tied up. Yeah, casual sex. We've been through casual sex. Now no casual sex. We want intentful sex, regardless of what relationship style it's in. Now we can move to. Well, it was very hard, as I said before, to not discuss relationship styles, but I'll put more of a hammer on it now. Let's hammer into this now. When it comes to your relationship style, what's the best? What What is the best? Let's say, because that question is a little too general, so let's go two-part, individual and societal. What is the best relationships for the individual? What is the best relationship for society? Oh, you could say that's a, that's a tough question, isn't it? So let's start with the individual. It's always going to depend on your stage of life and what you most need to learn. I've always said this, the optimal mating style, the optimum, optimal mating relationship for human beings is the one that provides the greatest opportunity to learn. Learn what you need to learn now. I gave you some references earlier in the podcast of why you, why an exclusive relationship would be repulsive to some. Why would actually be the last recommendation I, as a social dynamics coach, would recommend to a particular individual, depending on their circumstances. Someone that has, particularly for people that are coming through past trauma, sexual abuse, those that have a corrupted idea of masculine to feminine energy, that have their trust broken many times over to the point where the installation of trust within another, within a sexual partner is very, very difficult. So they just lock it out altogether. So what would you rather, my friends? Would you rather someone, you know, for all the people that think you should only have sexual experiences within committed, exclusive relationships? Okay. What about for the people that would never entertain, even if you even if you told them to, that you couldn't force them to entertain an exclusive relationship because of their fear of trust? So what are you saying? They should never experience sexual exploration ever? It's a pretty hard line. It's a pretty hard line. And your idea was like, oh, we'll work through the, we'll work through those. Well, the response will probably be work through those ideas, then work through that hurt locker, work through that pain, so then you can then trust to get back into exclusive relationships. Well, that's a little too circular, isn't it? Because it doesn't acknowledge that that person would never come to that place, and that the only just through the nature of just what self introspection, meditation. No, listen, I love self self introspection. I love journaling. I love meditation. I recommend it to my clients on the daily. But not for a second do I ever believe that all of those internal practices would ever map to a fully actualized external practice. You need both. You cannot simultaneously, or I should say, let me remove the word simultaneous. You cannot isolatedly practice internally and expect that to have some level of efficacy outside of yourself into the external world. Come now. Come now. Let's be realistic. Let's be practical here that if you just take a male example of a guy who has a deep, deep complex of inadequacy, who feels that he is just not adequate enough for any female being, and you would say to him, listen, listen, just meditate on it, just journal on it, work with a coach, get feedback, you know, repair, heal all of these mindsets, and you'll be right. You'll be right. Go back out, start meeting people. All right, then you'll be right and it will all go fine. It'll be just fine. You're cooked. Absolutely cooked. You need a simultaneous practice of that because actually, while I'm not deriding all the internal practice, it is only your reference and relation to other human beings, aka mirrors, that will provide you with the actual feedback 
of who you are. So you may come to in your bedroom think, I trust in the opposite sex now. I trust in the sexual practice I could feel with them. Step out onto the street, step out into the club, meet into the bar, get back home into someone's bedroom, taking the clothes off, all of a sudden, freeze up. Freeze up, can't get an erection. Freeze up, can't show him that I'm actually open to sexual progression. Both sides, both female and male, will, will demonstrate the same ability of freezing up, whether it be for the man in terms of his ability to get erect or the overrushing of things and just blowing himself out or for the female in which that she becomes a clam, sh- a nice turtle shell really, a nice turtle shell of energy in which that actually she may well like this guy. She may well actually think this is a great guy, but because she rushed her own, rushed her own process, because she maybe dived in a little too deeply to those that only give weight to the self-talk, the self-affirmation, and not realize that actually this girl needed to backstep her expectations of what she could possibly manifest in an external practice with another human being, probably by 10 to 20x, aka she would probably need, if she's gone through particularly domestic violence or sexual abuse, and 10 experiences, if not with 10 different guys, could be one guy, as long as he's a good guy, and as long as there's 10 other guys that were good guys, in which that she was comfortable to say, I need to slow this down. Not just comfortable to say it to him, but to herself. But to herself first, and then to be able to export that, and then to stay true to that, practice through that, not rush herself, not freeze up herself, just sit into the moment, sit into where she feels most comfortable, and not feel the need to go anywhere beyond that. These ideas in a podcast, you can download them, and you can feel like you've installed them. Okay, I'm hearing you out. Slow it down. Understand myself. Don't set high expectations. Get into the moment. Feel the hearts. Feel the breathing. Look into their eyes. Transfer that love. These are all downloaded and you feel like you've installed them. No, 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 no. In these podcasts, you download them. In real life, you install them. And I'm here to say that the installation process of such ideas is not a quick process. The installation of love, love without attachment, love without ego, love at the highest form, me and you becomes just now. That's not, that's, that's not something that someone just learns on their own. That's not something that someone just learns in a moment. You know, just, just because you heard it in a podcast, it's going to take some time. It will take some time for you to learn to trust in other human beings. And listen, and this is also predicated that the human being you're engaging with is also on board with this, which as we're starting to find out in society, a lot of people are not. A lot of people are not. If you're a, if you're a girl right now, listen to this. If you, if you and I went out on a date together, I say I take you, take you down to the beach, we'll go for a quick walk. Not even a quick walk. Let's go for a long walk. Go for a long walk on the beach. Let's get to understand each other. Right. And we find out that there's a tremendous connection there, that we just feel each other. It's easy. You know, your best friends from the moment you meet. And you felt that, okay, if not consciously, subconsciously, but you maybe later that night had a conscious conversation with yourself saying, you know, I've been abused most of my life. I've been raped before. I've had domestic violence committed upon me before as a woman. And you're having that conversation with yourself, but then you met someone like me that was actually going to treat you right. And that actually, this guy actually seems like he's going to treat me right. I'm scared. I'm scared. But because I heard this podcast the other day of just baby step, no expectations, sit into the moment, practice the love, heart to heart. Let me try this. Let me try this. And you get into the moment with me. 
And I help to facilitate all of that. I provide the vessel which shows total acceptance for all of your femininity. And that even in the moment when the candle's going down and that when the light is just radiating off our bodies together and that the heat, the heat, the humidity, the pressure, the pressure of hearts in connection with each other made you feel like, yes, yes, this guy. Yes, I can trust in this guy. I would still want you to slow it down. I would still want you to back up. I say, hang on, we don't, you don't need to go into sexual penetration right now. Especially because very likely, very likely, I would have detected at that point because of my sexual practice that there may have been something lingering within you. And that if I had not consciously brought it up, I would have subconsciously reacted by wanting to slow down myself. And then maybe a conversation would have evolved. You know, that's... Now, hang on a sec. So... We didn't get the outcome that we wanted, so to speak. Well, maybe not on surface, in which that, well, she didn't overcome the moment there. And that's what I'm trying to say. The installation process, well, then it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? The installation process of trust, of balancing sex, and then realizing that sex itself, the penetration, is only a reflection of the love that was installed from the beginning. The love that does not require attachment the love that does not have a contract on it that says you will be my exclusive partner afterwards. Now that to me only corrupts love. Love should be born first without structure. Love should be tested first before you committing to something to see in the most pure of experiment how your feminine energy interrelates with my masculine and vice versa. Then we will see what love is. When you eliminate financial ideas, when you eliminate social societal constructs of what relationship frameworks would be and we just get to test our love together and see if something beautiful could be imagined there and then afterwards then if we had not only discovered but found within the experience experiment i should say the experiment between you and i that we would want to find ourselves in a relationship style then we could progress into those ideas and those conversations and set up whether it be an open or exclusive relationship absolutely but the installation process is what we've been describing here and how for those that think that someone who has gone through past history trauma abuse domestic violence etc would just be able to harmonize that internally and then commit to a relationship and just be all good no 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 no, no. i swear i have to, i must disagree with you I must very respectfully disagree with you because of practical, you could call it clinical experience. While I do not, while this is, the world is my clinic. <laughs> the world and its humans are my clinic. In which that, what I have seen is that human beings are certainly not perfect and certainly require a process. Not an injection, but a process. Injection referring to one and done process being many upon many experiences that would show someone just a little more trust just a just a little more okay i'm here for you i'm here for you i'll go your pace i match your pace if tonight you only want to take your shirt off and you're just comfortable with kissing i match that pace if tonight you want to run your hands down my body you want to take my clothes off you want to progress through full sexual penetration match your pace Sex, sex is love when we start to elevate to a higher idea. When we start to elevate to a higher idea of what sex can be, I want you to elevate yourself to the idea that we make love. 
We make love. It doesn't mean I have to be in love with you to make love, which is another much more higher concept in which that you operate from the place of love, which is a caring place, an empathetic place, direct as well. Very direct in the sense that you always know where I'm at. You always know how I feel about you and I, how I feel about how you take care of me, how I take care of you, where my expectations may lie, where I feel your expectations may lie. And we have an open discussion around this. All of this done with love, big concept of love. And that your sexual practice, how many of you even use that word? How many of you even take the concept of sexual practice? For the long-time listeners of this podcast, I know you're all nodding along. I know you're all going, yep, because Adam talks about that shit all the time. Because it seems that it is a practice. That sex is not a transaction, sex is a practice. And the practice of two human beings learning best how to coincide. It's something so beautiful. And the beauty of what filling someone and, be, and receiving someone could be. You know, that's, it is a most beautiful process when done that way. So taking a step back here now, my friends. <clears throat> to wrap up this point on relationship styles for the individual, it is based on what you most need to learn. I hammered on the open style while someone might need an open style, particularly for females there as well. But just to add a little extra viewpoint there, if you're a male, for males that, oh, I said inadequacy complexes, if you've got an inadequacy complex, that's not going to get rectified by you entering another exclusive relationship. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're going to go and need and see a whole bunch of different people to realize that this one person is not an object of desire, of fixatable desire. In which that I meet one person and I get fixated on them and they become my all and everything. Which is probably what led to you having such an inadequacy complex. I know there are many factors that will lead to that, but it's a very common one that I see. I see many clients that come in with inadequacy complexes that come from a history of meeting one person. A lot of the times that person chose them and they became fixated and that, that per- they made that person the all and everything. And then when that was burnt, destroyed inadequacy sets in because they thought this was going to be the ride or die for life not good enough now not good enough will i ever be good enough again that person needs to learn in relation to many at that stage in their burgeoning stage of healing and processing and this is where we now move into the discussion on exclusivity who i feel when someone is ready to learn through exclusivity is when they've reached a place within themselves where they are sitting deeply. Sitting so deeply within themselves that they no longer fixate on any one person. They no longer interchange another human being for their purpose in life. But no, recognize the hierarchy of their life in which that their purpose and the reason why they wake up in the morning is at the top. And that everything else cascades beneath accordingly. That a person ready for learning through exclusivity would have practiced deeply how to have meaningful, deep, open, direct conversations. That knows how to voice conflict in a way that does not perpetuate conflict, but helps bring it to a resolution. Someone that has no concept of self-inadequacy but self-love, that their self-inadequacy, while maybe objectively, 
They recognize the parts of them that need to be worked on and improved. No one's perfect. But they learn to love those parts of them as much as they do the parts of them that are adequate. That their entire being is viewed as one organism. One one great temple in which that yes, there are rooms to be repaired. Yes, there are pillars to be erected. But yes, also, there are rooms that are always in, already in mint condition. And, and most importantly, that this temple serves a purpose of helping other people. That's someone who's ready for an exclusive relationship, who's not prone to making someone else their purpose in life. That's really the core. And so if you feel, feel like you're at that place, then absolutely, an exclusive relationship is probably what you need to learn through the most, most likely because that's what you are desiring to be able to create something with someone else in a more committed style, whether it be creating another person or creating a different style of life. So if you can really take a step back here, what, am I, what, are, what has been the summation of my views on relationship styles? Well, you understand the core philosophy. The optimal mating style is the one that allows you to learn what you need to learn the most right now. It just so happens that for people that have, well, maybe not just so happens, but it is certainly revealing that people that have come through some form of limiting belief, negative self-perception, egoic attachment, or past history trauma, domestic violence, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, those people often need to go through an open practice of meeting various people with no attachment whatsoever, no commitment whatsoever, in order to learn to trust, not just to trust other people, but to trust themselves in relation to other people. It is not a life sentence. Relationship styles, and this is where you'll find that I differ from basically everyone in academia that I've ever heard discuss relationship styles, whether it be Jordan Peterson or other different professors, Buss or whatever, the, the Pick, pick, pick anyone in, in a orthodox academic position on wanting everyone to be in an exclusive relationship, basically. Where I differ is that I have a very fluid concept and a very malleable, ever-evolving and updating, adapting position towards relationships in which that you use the relationship style that allows you to learn the most and heal the most. Open relationships when done with the intent to learn about yourself in relation to others, when done with open communication, setting up the T's and C's, setting up the pillars that I go through on how to set up an open relationship properly, right? In which that, you both parties are aware of both parties' intent, why they are using the open relationship and agree and that they like what that other person has said. And then through the micros of how the relationship would be set up, the philosophy towards it in which that we have our own worlds that every now and again we'll meet on the moon in order to give all of ourselves to each other in the moment, to explore all of each other in that moment. If you'd like to understand more about this, uh, I think the most recent podcast I did on the principles of open free relationships, open relationships is in a podcast about six or seven episodes ago, six or seven episodes ago called animalistic sex versus deep love. I go through a full walkthrough on the open relationships there. But anyway, so not to have to get into all the micros now because it's it's a discussion. But when done, as, as I was saying, when done with such rigorous consciousness and awareness for why you're using the open relationship, which of course will be founded upon caring for the other person. It's this idea 
that I hear from the professors and the scientists that you couldn't possibly care for someone if you're in an open relationship. I reject that idea wholeheartedly. Why? (laughs) Because I've lived in open relationships for the last six to seven years of my life and have shown the utmost levels of care for the women that I've been with, the utmost levels of consciousness that I have been with, and has been reciprocated largely. Largely has been reciprocated in which that the actual style of the relationship, I haven't had a meltdown with. I haven't had some meltdown with. Why? Because when it, one of the other pillars of an open relationship is that it's predicated on open communication, that if things ever change within you, if you start to notice that you're developing deep seeds of love and deep seeds of wanting to become committed, that you would raise that with your partner on first touch, that you would raise that upon first light, and then you could make a decision before you get potentially burnt later on with misconceived ideas, miss or unrequited ideas, I should say. So you avoid burning bridges before the fire even starts. That's the best of an open relationship, and that is how an open relationship should best be utilized. The larger idea I was going on there was that the summarization or my this summarization of my idea around how these two things are manifesting or playing in terms of your dynamics as you move throughout life. If you're going through a process of healing, healing, learning to trust, an open style relationship is most likely going to be best suited for you, primarily because an exclusive relationship would not allow you to learn the lessons that you need to learn right now. However, if you then overcome those lessons, overcome that hurt locker, overcome those negative self-perceptions and those trust ideas, you harmonize those, then an exclusive relationship likely then becomes what you most need to learn through. Yeah, I think that's where I'm best positioned. Best positioned as someone who has seen a vast cacophony of different backgrounds, different relationship histories, different abusive histories that people have come through to realize and put into practice that relationships are fluid, the styles in which that you engage relationships are fluid, and that learning should always be The number one, learning always. Not diverting, not gratifying or validating, just learning. We'll leave that right there. So, the most or the biggest portion of this podcast I can remember we just started this off with was individual relationship roles or the role of relationships within individuals. So now we can discuss that on the, I said I would discuss on the societal level. What's best for society then? <clears throat> what's, best, what's best for society? So, oh, and, and this actually is quite good. This is actually quite a good segue because this is going to lead us into me playing devil's advocate or addressing, I should say, addressing the kickback from the professors and people in academia who one of the other big reasons they cite uh, open or ca- what they refer to as casual relationships, which I guess is another big disagreement between, well, an, an agreement, I guess, between them and I, in a way, which is that I actually agree with them that if you're going to be having intentless sex and you're not going to be setting up relationships with these direct and open principles, then yeah, that's going to lead to problems societally. Absolutely. But if you're going to be doing it the way that I've just espoused, then you're not going to see many of those problems at all, actually. So this is where it leads us into society. And I basically just kicked off with the intro there. That I feel that, yes, if you've got a generation of people that are only meeting people through online dating apps, you're meeting people through Tinder, through Bumble, 
whatever whatever other apps may be coming out in here or there, social media, Instagram, TikTok, and all that. If you're meeting people through digital means, particularly the dating apps, though, let's let's separate social media and dating apps for this discussion. Then yes, your idea of how human beings relates and how human beings should interact, particularly in the opening sequence, when it comes to the conveyance of intent, when it comes to the conveyance of, because really in the first 30 to 60 seconds that you meet someone, you're really getting a very good idea of how they perceive themselves. In the first 30, 60 seconds of engaging someone, whether it be in a bar, out on the street, in the gym, botanic gardens, in the airport, however you met them, social circle, warm introduction, you're really getting an idea of how that person perceives themselves. You don't really get to see how they perceive you until they settle down into the interaction. Because I was going to say for better or worse, I think it's for better. I don't think there is a worse. I think it is a protection mechanism that we've all evolved with, which is that we're on guard. We are all on guard the moment, unless you are deeply socially practiced, like someone like myself, and you are used to thousands and thousands of cold interactions with people you've never met before, in which that you learn to drop that guard and just give all of yourself, and most importantly, how you perceive them, and you just mirror back to them. So what I'm really describing there is that Most people have a veil over their mirror when they first engage in another mirror. They don't let the other mirror see all of them or, and particularly not how all of how they, yeah, how they perceive themselves. But as you get more socially practiced and you learn to trust in human beings, you learn to trust in your own abilities, you become above consciously competent, you become unconsciously competent in social dynamics. Then you start to realize that actually I can take this veil off from the beginning. That's not most people though. Most people are on guard from the moment they start an interaction. In those first 30, 60 seconds, you see what those guards are. You see how they restrict their smile. You see how they restrict certain elements of discussion. You see how they have a conflict within how aggressive, assertive, I should say, how sexual, how flirty, playful, joyous, sad, How to what degree they should alter their communication towards you to best receive to be best received. This is what most people do. So it's not until they really calm down. You know, for, the, for someone who's got an average level of social skills, you know, five out of 10, it's not a hard case, not a natural, but just an average five in the middle. It's probably going to take them a good minute at least for you to start to see them begin the process of showing you how they actually feel about you, not how they feel about themselves. And it's unconscious, by the way. That's what's so beautiful about it, is that it's unconscious that when you're viewing someone in those first 30, 60 seconds, that you're just seeing all of what they're restricting themselves from expressing. Allah giving you more of an idea, a perception of how they view themselves versus how they perceive you. It's not that they don't. It's not that uh, they're not showing you some element of how they're perceiving you. Of course, you're there. You, you are there. It's just that it's far more telling uh, for most people, most people who are not trained in social dynamics, you know, so what they do and do not do, specifically what they don't do more than what they do do. So with that being said, coming back up that bamboo shoot, let me retract that. Would it be the end of society if everyone stopped? What if, what if, if, how about this? This is a great question. If you're so confident in what you're saying here, Adam, would you put money, would you stake your life on your philosophy? 
would I think, do I think society would be better off or worse off if they everyone subscribed to my philosophy of relationship styles? In which is that you use the relationship style that allows you to learn the most for what you need to learn right now. Or better. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it. Absolutely better. Which would mean that you would see a far more, if not radical, but voluminous, voluminous push towards, well, not push, but just, what's the word? Attraction? I guess attraction. Attraction towards open style relationships for a time being. And then when those people realize, because what I think would happen if that was to be the case, is that if a large, very large portion of society got to hear this podcast and they all decided to give it a bat, what I think they would find is that, okay, so I don't have to have all these hangups around not being in an exclusive relationship because largely a lot of that does come to do with perception, family members, uh, co-workers, society in general, that you know if, you, if, you're, if you're in open relationships, then you're just this promiscuous, frivolous, you know, you, you don't care for people type person. That's the general stigma. But then you go, oh, actually, that's not the general stigma because if you listen to this podcast, well, it shouldn't be the general stigma because if you listen to this podcast, actually, I'm getting to learn more about practicing care and empathy and learning to understand myself in relation to others through open relationships, getting to process my trust issues and my limiting belief issues and my negative self-perceptions more through these open relationships. So yeah, okay, uh, that's a big correction in the mindset. So you would see that. And then, but but it's 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 a transitionary period, and what you would find over a certain amount of time, let's give it ten years, let's say we run the experiment for ten years. I believe that over ten years, you would see in the beginning a large cross section goes towards open relationships, moves through their trauma, works through their process to get out and find themselves at the end of that much stronger human beings, ready, actually poised to enter strong, monogamous, exclusive relationships. And therein lies the point. The point is this. Amongst the academia that believe that the be-all, end-all solution towards society's sex problems and sexual culture is to just enforce monogamy, enforce exclusive relationships, what they are missing the most that I can feel is the quality of those relationships. The quality that each individual is positioned with to make that relationship work. You are, or what I feel, I should say you, because I'm not directing this towards any one person, but I'm directing it towards the body of people that believe in enforced monogamy, in which that all society should just be monogamous. You are presuming that those individuals are well-developed, well-balanced, centered, grounded, have principles of being direct, congruent, authentic, can cover with empathy, do understand what it means to place their purpose first and not another person. And so that they would be best fit for exclusive monogamous relationships. That's the presumption. And I'm here to tell you that you're just flat out wrong. Oh, I'm not even here to tell you that you don't even have to listen to me. Who am I? Who am I to tell you that? Just look at the data. Look at the research. Look at the research of divorce. Look at the look at just the pure statistics that it's roughly in the US, one in every second marriage is going to end up in divorce. And that largely it takes about eight years for that to transpire. The average divorce or the average marriage goes for about eight years in the US. So, no, 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 no. Of course, there are many uh, contributing factors as to why someone would get divorced. I'm totally aware of that. It is not just because both people or one person was poised to be an inadequate partner for, their, for that particular relationship style. I'm sure there are many other factors, I'm sure. But you cannot disagree with me. 
that, that that is one very large contributing factor. That many people that entered relationships monogamous were not fit for non-monogamous relationships. That were not poised psychologically, spiritually, well-developed enough to handle that style of relationship and would have been better served utilizing the very best of what an open-style relationship could be that would be fit with and prepared with ideas of empathy, care, utilizing sex, sexual interaction with intent to learn, to better understand oneself, done in a safe as possible manner with contraceptives. When that's done, yeah, that person would be better fit off. I was just speaking of a lady last night, actually. I was speaking of a lady last night, and I was going to save this story for an email article. So maybe I won't. Uh, I'll go into it a little bit. I'll go into it. I'll go into it a little bit. I'll probably talk about it more in the Bowl Sip, the free weekly AMI newsletter. Just sign up at bowldojo.com. comes out on Fridays. I'll probably make this, if not the next article, but maybe the one after. Probably the next article, actually, this week's. I was sitting with a woman on the beach who I just met on the beach, and we were sitting on the rocks. We had a great walk, and we are sitting on the rocks. And she's a good deal older than me, probably about 11, 12 years older than me. She got three kids and she was telling me that she just got out of a near 20-year marriage. I think it was like 19-year marriage in which she experienced tremendous domestic violence. Uh, she'd been hit herself. Her children had been abused by the father and that she was visibly shaking while retelling the story to me. And it's not like I was in coach mode. It's not like I was like, okay, like tell me about this and what happened there. It just kind of came up in conversation and naturally I care a lot. I care about the people I engage with. So naturally I want to provide that vessel as I'm always telling you guys about the vessel of total acceptance in which that there will be no judgment no matter what you tell me here. And so she went on to the details of the brutal details of the relationship. She said something very telling at the end of all of it, in which that I naturally would have asked, as anyone does, why did you stay in it for so long when you were being abused for so long? And she revealed to, before even me asking that, she had revealed this nugget, which was, I don't even know why I entered the relationship. And then that, that only persisted throughout the years to come. Now, am I saying that that woman never should have got married, never should have gone to an exclusive relationship? Hindsight is a wonderful Monday quarterback. It's easy for us now to say, hmm, maybe that, maybe that lady who's now 20 years older, maybe her 20-year younger self could have spent a little more time getting to understand herself through open relationships, getting to understand her own value system, the way she values sex and relationships, values herself predominantly because it showed that if you're going to exist and she acknowledges this as well. If you're going to exist merely through by survival in a relationship, then you can't value yourself very highly. Not until at least the children came in and then she starts to live for the children, in which that she keeps the relationship together purely for the children. That becomes even more complex at that point. So let's not go into that. But safe to say, there are ideas, broken ideas of self-worth and self-value, self-love for someone that exists in such an abusive relationship for so long. I think that's pretty fair to say. Would she have been better off? Listen, I can't say that. I'm not going to be so hubris and arrogant to say that she would be better off having spent a little more time in open relationships. But what I'm going to say is that I can't say that she wouldn't have been. I'm not going to say that she would have been but because I can't go back with a magic wand. But I will definitely not concede 
I will not concede that exclusivity monogamy was the only option for her. There's different options. There's different ways of learning. There are different ways of learning, different ways of learning through a more cognizant, conscious, aware practice. And and here we go, coming back to that word practice. If you leave this podcast with any one idea, you know, we took this, this abortion fiasco, fiasco, this, this, this another, just another dividing nail in society's coffin, really. That's what we're seeing happening here. And when you see it happening on such a macro scale, you know that it's going to affect on the micro. Because all of these larger macro ideas of inflation and wars and uh, the cultural wars, not even just real wars, Ukraine and Russia, but actual cultural wars and the far the radical wokeism coming from the left and the destruction of really core Western principles of democracy. And you see all these macro ideas and this fluctuation. It just does your head in like it's doing my head in right now. Right? So if, you, if all those macro ideas exist and they're all existing within the ethos, then it will filter down in some way into not only our individual lives as adults, but our children's lives, because the children will learn from the adults. If the adults are broken, the children will be broken. The children learn to be broken by broken adults. Children, as a default, come out as largely pristine, pure, simple canvases on which an entirely new software can be painted. Yes, the hardware, certainly, that someone is born with has some say. To what say? I can't define. You would have to have a debate, a very large debate between scientists as to what level of limit, I should say, has been set on someone's ability to install software based on how good their hardware is. You know, what I'm saying there is that if you're missing half a brain from the moment you come out of the womb, the amount of software you're going to be able to integrate is probably going to be a lot less. Yeah? If there's missing wires, you're missing neurons, you're missing connectivity between different uh, spheres of the brain and the tissue, then okay, I definitely acknowledge that. But largely, even so, humans are very plastic, extremely plastic. Our minds are very fluid. The software that we can install, particularly in our formative years, is basically up to the parents. It's up to the adults. It's up to society. So I feel for the children right now. I really do. I feel for them when it comes to their sexuality. In their sexual relationships, that why is it that I, I'm probably not a good example because I don't listen to other people in my space because I don't really know anyone else in my space. Like I, I just do me. I just do me. And if there are other people preaching what I'm preaching, please more, just more, louder, louder and more. Just relationships in which that stop dividing masculine and feminine beings. Like stop putting like, okay, it's only the divine feminine, right? Then the divine feminine is, is, is the all, be all and end all. Or then, then, then vice versa. That no, it's just the sacred masculine, and then it's just the sacred masculine. We have to only work on. No, no. What people don't realize is that the more you try to focus on one sex and one energy, the more you do damage to the other. The more you try to red pill, and I'm not talking about red pill. I'm talking about in the dating world. You try to get people more masculine beings into the red pill side of things, and which is just that. No. You've all got to focus all the energy and attention on males and women are just there to really as destructive forces and you've got to you know, steal yourself as a man, like this red pill mentality. I, I'm tempted to say the fuck bitches get money type mentality. Like a lot of, there are a lot of guys in red pill. I don't think that's their actual philosophy, but it just seems that it attracts a lot of those guys. But 
you know, this 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 stance on that. Uh, well, it's almost like it's not even so much a stance on not honoring feminine energy, but it's just the lack of. It's 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 the disinterest, the disinterest from both sides, and I see it from both sides. This is the division I'm talking about. I started this conversation with the nail, the final nail in the coffin of division, the failed, the final dividing nail, which is that when it comes to abortion. That's why I wanted to bring it into this conversation because abortion is not just a female problem. It's not a female problem. While it is a problem for the female in literal, physical, all meaning of the term, a man will never have to give an abortion no matter how much the radical left tries to tell you that a man can have an abortion and that a man can give birth. It's just not, it's just not true. It's just biologically not true. A man does not have a uterus or a womb. So get out of here with that shit. But moving beyond that wokeism, Women have partners. Women have partners that inseminated, right, that gave them that sperm, that led to the abortion, that would led to the child that would have to be aborted. And at some point, if you are a masculine being who has practiced in this life, it is likely you will either come across a woman who has gone through an abortion or a woman that you are engaged with that has to receive an abortion. Maybe you, she was going through the abortion process or getting ready for it as you met her. In some degree, in some way, Personally, I've known several girls personally that I've been sexually engaged with that didn't have an abortion because of me, but either had one before me or were go- I entered their life sphere as that was going down. So even though I will never personally, as a man, have to go through an abortion, I will certainly have to deal with women that have ever been through one themselves or are going through one right now. And in which case, I would love to be prepared for that. I would love to know. I would love to know how best to show that woman that I care. How best to be able to engage with her, how best to walk forward in this relationship when it comes to our sexual practice. Let's say particularly for girls that have been through abortions before and maybe they have a little more, their guard is up around sexual practice. How best to step through that emotional journey with her. Journey, practice, understanding sexuality between the man and the woman, the masculine and feminine energetic dynamic. Right, This is what we're talking about here and that children are not receiving this. And that children need to be taught this. They don't need to be taught it so explicitly in which that you take them down to strip clubs or you take them into live sex play. Absolutely not. There's there's definitely a time in which that children should be exposed to the ideas of the very raw nature of sex. But what I'm talking about here is the dynamic between masculine and feminine energy in which that there's just a more and more divide, more and more in the female camp, more and more in the male camp. And what I'm, I'm just standing out here on a lonely island, just waving the waving the red flag, not the white flag, but waving the waving the red flag, saying, "Guys, come back together, come back together, men and women. We came into this life together. Masculine and feminine energy came into this life together. We will thrive together. We will we will experience the best of what life has to give together, not by destroying the other side by painting the other side as." ill-intended, vitriolic, conceited, arrogance, without the best interest. And while there may be individual cases that exist within those ideas, within the masculine or feminine, it surely does not cast an entire ray onto the entire scope and field of what that energy would be. Because I tell you right now, tell you right now, as a masculine being, I love women. I love women. I love women for their creativity, 
I love women for their sexuality. I love women for the way that they embrace their sexuality when they do, in which when a woman gives out a full body orgasm, when she lets go into the full array of not only sexual experience, but spiritual experience combined with that, nothing more shows me what the experience and depth of humanity could be when a woman accesses that. And that is something to be grateful for. That's something that I honor each and every single time. And that when it comes to a woman's explosive nature, her volcanic nature in arguments, in uh, the defending of children, in the defending of principles of autonomy and bodily autonomy, that also is stuff that I'm grateful for. That is also things that make me have reverence for females. I love females. I also love males. I also love males for the strength and determination and integrity that they can show in the times of greatest hardship in when in when wars appear. And we don't want the women to go and fight in the wars. We don't want children to have to fight in wars. We don't want our elderly to have to fight in wars. That the men stand up and they say that we will not allow this this tyranny, this destruction of value, of core, to persist. And so we will put our lives on the line. That's what I love males for. I love males for... I love males for their fucking comedy. I love males for their comedy. Not to say that I don't love females for comedy as well. I love female comedians as well. But... I resonate with male comedy. I love, I love the willingness for males to offend. It is a very masculine quality to offend. And to offend not with intent to hurt. And that is the key. The best comedy, the best humor is the humor that offends without intent to hurt. There is a magic line of where things are at their funniest and it is just as they are just bordering on a about to hurt someone. Don't actually hurt someone, but about to. Anyways, getting back to it, what I love about males, oh, I brought that up. Comedy, comedy there. Just a different angle. But all I want to do with the larger point here is that bringing people together, bringing our sexes back together, uh, putting the glue of us back together so that our children may benefit. Because surely, who does the divide between men and women hurt the most? Children. I am the product of seven marriages. <laughs> That came out wrong. My parents had seven marriages between them, between different partners. Right? Mum had three, dad had four. I've seen a lot of broken dynamics between men and women across my time. Somehow, I'm not fucked up. Well, maybe some of you would disagree with that. But I feel like I'm not fucked up when it comes to the dynamic between masculine and feminine energy. I feel like I have a pretty good balance on it, hence why I'm happy to stand here for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours across years and years and years to describe my understandings of masculine and feminine energy and trying to bring the two together. Uh, maybe I'm an outlier then. Maybe I'm an outlier because what I can see is that actually really broken down dynamics between men and women only hurts children more. And I really don't want to see that. I don't think anyone wants to see that. And now this finally addresses and brings a nice capper before we start the summary of this podcast of the impact on society when it comes to relationships. Frivolous sex, sex with no intent will definitely affect society for sure. Right? It'll lead to people. It not only would it lead to more single parented children, but it'll also lead to more of a breakdown between men and women, more of a transactional nature. Okay, I agree with that. A push towards only exclusive ex- monogamous relationships with no care for the position in life that that person would find themselves in. That would lead to problems in society. That would lead to more broken marriages. <laughs> you don't hear that very often from the academia, but I can tell you that's just a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. Not only have I seen it in my own life, not have I seen it with the people that I've been born witness, bad witness to 
clearly not being ready for monogamous relationships, still went into them anyway. Pain in the end. Very quickly as well. What I can see, what I can see the way moving forward is that you best endeavor to understand yourself. To create the very best of your capacity as a human being to experience what I refer to as supreme excellence. Your purpose, physical, mental, social development, all capped up with that true understanding of what your nature in life is. And if you could, as I've been known to say, want to say, if you could acquire those tools within yourself in order to build a bridge, in order to cross a river within yourself, that's a way forward for anyone. That's a way forward for both a man and a woman. Get the tools, build the bridge, cross the river in order to understand yourself. Man or a woman can do that. If men and women do that, you'll find men and women coming together. And when men and women come together to best honor each other, to best understand each other, to best utilize sexual practice, whether it's going to be in an open or an exclusive style, to honor sexual practice deeply, to honor the trauma of the past, to not become, to not dwell within it, but to move beyond it, to evolve beyond it. You know, that's, that's where you're going to find the best of both, for both worlds, when you can bring the best of men and women together. Right? Children get the best. So rather than being so focused on how you can hurt someone else, divide other people, how about how we can bring people together, connect people, show each other how much we care for each other. That's where we're going to end this. That's exactly where I'm going to end this. So I thank you all for diving deeply into this session. If you do receive anything from it, please let me know in a comment down below. Share your ideas, your stories, your thoughts. I'll try to get back to them as soon as I possibly can. And if you did enjoy the content, just drop a thumbs up on the video down below on YouTube. It helps it get sent out to the rest of the community. And please share it with someone if you resonated, with someone that you feel like would resonate as well. Share that love. This podcast is brought to you by boldoja.com where you can book one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, dive into the resources of wisdom, free weekly amount newsletter, all of that down below. If you would like to help support the channel, you can donate through the PayPal link. That's all down below in the links. Instagram, social media, all down below. And yeah, this is a beautiful time with all of you. And I do hold hope for our world, for humanity. We will move forward. As long as there's one of us, one candle can light up a thousand. So I hope that there's at least one of you candles out there lighting up. I'll see you in the very next session. Wishing you all the love, peace, and joy. Ciao. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here, and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram, or on Facebook, or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldoja.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldoja.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, little cheeky article. It's free every single week, comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, create action plans and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. 
send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the bowl coaching memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on bowldojo.com. A nice five-track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course, just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I, or also directly on bowldojo.com in the Bowdojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life, not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy. Ciao.